Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. I thought um, I'd talk about something different. I usually try to talk about something different. But I thought given the time of the year that it is, which when I'm recording this, it's December, and with all of the supply chain chaos, the record high inflation, the uncertainty in the economy, I thought this year would be a perfect time to talk about celebrating Christmas in the manner of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, I haven't talked a lot about Scrooge on the podcast. I I don't think I ever have. And yet, the Christmas Carol really formed uh, some of the basis, some of the foundation of the work that I've done in financial therapy and that I'm doing today in financial therapy. In fact, the first study in psychology around disordered money issues and whether there was any type of a a treatment that could help with permanent behavioral change was done uh, using a Christmas carol as the treatment outline. And basically, the Christmas carol is this. We have a a man that was in pre-contemplation, if we use Petraska's uh, uh, stages of change in changing for good. He was in pre-contemplation. He didn't know he had a problem. He didn't know that he, how he was showing up. I mean, he was completely oblivious, which the term we often use for that, the lay term, is denial. Uh, There was an intervention that happened, which is usually the case when um, we come face to face with something that we didn't know was a problem. And in this case, it was his old partner, Marley. And the ghost of Marley came and basically told him he needed to change or things weren't going to end well for him. So uh, he became willing. He was in contemplation at that point in time. And the uh, formula that was given to him was you'll be visited by three spirits. I don't think he laid them out to Scrooge who they would uh, be. But we know, since we've read the end of the book, that the first one was the Ghost of Christmas Past. And this is where Scrooge went into his past. And if you're familiar with experiential therapy or psychodrama, this is a perfect metaphor for that. Because he was showing scenes of his past, which were... uh, a lot of unfinished business, trauma, 
that was still retained, uh, difficult emotions that had not been worked through or processed. And in these various scenes, there was one where he cried, one where he trembled with fear, another where he laughed. I mean, he experienced the whole range of emotions in working through this unfinished business. So at the end of this, there is a second ghost, and you can think of these ghosts really as guides, right? Maybe in the modern day uh, vernacular therapists. So the uh, ghost of Christmas present showed up, and he modeled uh, authenticity and abundance, and he helped Scrooge see how things were. He helped Scrooge see reality. And this was a really important second step because so many of us in our paths of recovery or our paths to emotional and financial health try to start with the present. And starting with the present often doesn't work because that's where we start. And when we're not successful, we get kind of stuck there. So it's really important to go into the past to so we can be present, so we can be in the present. So being present means uh, objectivity. It's being able to see what is. It's being able to um, be factual and not interpret what we see. So Scrooge sees how people are thinking of him. He sees how life really is for his employee Cratchit and Tiny Tim. He uh, really is able to be present and see what he could not see until he removed all of the emotional baggage from the past. So um, at the uh, end of this, the next guide, ghost, that showed up was the, the ghost of Christmas future. And this is the only ghost that didn't talk, just pointed. And he pointed him to what would be in his life if he continued down the path that he was continuing down. And it, um, it wasn't a pretty picture to Scrooge. It was uh, actually terribly frightening. But it uh, provided motivation that once he'd been into the past, cleared that up. He was able to objectively see what, how he was showing up today. And then he saw the future that he had been creating and what was possible to create in financial therapy and financial planning. I call um, doing the work of the past actually more the past financial therapy, the present uh, traditional financial planning, and the future financial coaching or financial life planning. So Scrooge awakens thinking that this had taken three days to accomplish and all of the work had been done in one night. And he uh, wakes to the fact that it is Christmas Day. And things are quite different for him then. So 
going back to what I suggested that maybe we celebrate Christmas in the manner of Ebenezer Scrooge, most people when they hear Scrooge, they think of the Scrooge before his transformation. And a Christmas carol is a story of transformation. I had, oh, I can't remember this fellow's name. He was a, a the reverend of Harvard University and taught there for many years. He just, he recently passed away. And he spoke to a group of us planners, I'm guessing 13-ish years ago. And I remember as he uh, began to address the conference, he said, I picked up this book at the table in the back. It's called The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge. Is the author of this book here? <laughs> and everybody started pointing to me. And I'm like, uh-oh. He says, I preach on this fable every Easter. Because this is a story of transformation. So um, we think of, of Scrooge as the untransformed Scrooge, right? If you're called a Scrooge, if your first thought is not, this is a compliment. Because he was skin flint, he was tight, he was uh, crabby, he was mean, he ate gruel, which was... The, the poorest of the poor ate. He didn't eat his house well enough. He lived in poverty, really. He was not a pleasant person. And that's the Scrooge we have etched into our mind. We could uh, look at this and say, maybe uh, I can identify with the Scrooge at the end of the transformation. And that's the Scrooge that I really want to focus on, you know, with the, the way that um, things are in our economy right now, being the Scrooge at the beginning of the book may not be a terrible thing to do because he really clamped down on spending. <laughs> but I'm talking about maybe looking at it in a little bit different way. Let's take a look at what was it like when he woke up on that first day of his new life to discover it was still Christmas morning. And these were some of the things he, he did. He First, he threw open the window and he saw a young boy there. And he asked the boy if he would run and buy the largest prized turkey from the butcher. Now, interesting that butchers were open on Christmas Day, but they were in the story. And uh, gave him a generous tip. Now, already, this is way outside of his uh, normal way he showed up. Because the first thing he did was to think about others. Specifically, his employee, Bob Cratchit, and, uh, and his son, Tiny Tim. So we find this heart that's uh, full of generosity and uh, wanting to do something for others. Second thing that he did was uh, to take a walk into the in the streets. 
And he started greeting people that he met and shocking them to death. <laughs> who, who is this guy? A, a complete change in his demeanor. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm not naturally like this, where I'll strike up conversations with people or uh, go out of my way to be friendly to strangers. But I do know on occasion that I do that, it's quite a, uh, I want to say a, a nice feeling. The, the, the feeling is one of uh, connection, right? So often in my life, I tell myself I don't have time for connection. When I'm running into a grocery store, I it's not a leisurely experience. I'm usually on a timetable and I've got to get out of there. And the last thing I want to do is stop and talk. Probably the number one thing I really need to do is stop and talk. He then uh, promised to give a generous gift to the charity who the day before He'd turn away their representatives with pretty harsh words, saying basically he pays his taxes and that's enough because the debtor's prisons help people survive that, that couldn't pay their debts with tax money. Another thing that the book says happened is that he went to church, which was very unusual for Scrooge. Then um, he went to his nephew's house, Fred, who in the story, there are two characters in the story. This is actually a test question in my, in my uh, GDU course. So we'll, if you ever take it, I'm going to give it away. <clears throat> but uh, one of the questions is, who were the most um, functional, healthy people around money in the story of Christmas Carol? And the answer is Fred, his cousin, and Fezziwig, his uh, former employer. They had the most healthy views on money. So he went to his uh, nephew's house for Christmas because he was invited the day before, right? He turned it down. Bah, humbug. You do Christmas your way, I'll do Christmas my way. And uh, he was a little bit timid. He said, would you let me in, Fred? And what type of welcome did he get? He got a really warm welcome. And he participated fully in all of the activities and uh, the games that they played and, and uh, all of the festivities of the day. So. What we're seeing here is a lot of connection that was happening. Now, the next day at work, he increased his employee, Bob Cratchit's salary, began to treat him as a respected employee and not a servant. And Scrooge began to use his own resources to live more comfortably, which I find really uh, fascinating. We've talked, I know, on the uh, podcast about those that are underspenders, right? Underspending is a uh, hurtful financial behavior, and it's hurtful when we underspend to the point 
that we ignore our health needs and we ignore our safety needs. And that's exactly the type of underspender that Scrooge was. So he began to um, live more comfortably. And he became, the, what the story says, a second father to uh, Tiny Tim. So what happened is that it's, it's true that after the visits from the uh, spirits, Scrooge ended up spending more money than he had done before. And both during Christmas and during the rest of the year, especially in, in upgrading his uh, personal expenses on himself. So um, is that what I'm suggesting? That we <laughs> spend more money this Christmas? Well, no. I mean, maybe. Kind of is one of those depends answers. Scrooge was spending money that as a successful man of business, he could afford to spend. But nowhere in A Christmas Carol does it say that Scrooge then went into debt to buy Tiny Tim, the latest video game, or get the Cratchits a big screen TV or trappings of life that he couldn't afford. It doesn't say that Scrooge started spending like crazy on his credit card that he couldn't pay off in a month to upgrade his uh, flat or upgrade his clothing or to do anything like that. Now, of course, they didn't have credit cards in 1843, but I think you get the point is that Scrooge had the money and he spent within his means. But again, the, the number one takeaway that I see in this particular story is the um, transformation that he went through in adding some important elements to himself, uh, being charitable, thinking of others, uh, spirituality, and connection, connection with family and friends. He mended his relationship with his nephew. He became a friend and a mentor to Bob Cratchit. And he became a friend to Tiny Tim, which um, is a really interesting story. And much in, in a lot of the research that we did, you know, Cratchit comes off as kind of, I don't know if the hero, but he's the good guy, right, of the, the Christmas Carol. And Scrooge is the bad guy. And when we look at both of them in isolation, we see that they both had a tortured relationship with money. We found as many money scripts for Scrooge, which I, if I remember right, was 39, as for Cratchit. And one of the things that was interesting about Cratchit is it surmised that his son had a curable uh, disease. And that rather than spend the money on getting him the medicine that he needed to cure this disease, he spent the, the equivalent, and I believe it's one month's salary. I think it was one month's salary on the Christmas dinner for his family. 
Now, just think about that. You know, the average person probably earns four or $5,000 a month. Imagine spending four or $5,000 on Christmas dinner. <laughs> I mean, what? But that's the equivalent of what Cratchit did. And so we can't conclude from this that Cratchit was a great money manager, right? He probably had that money. We don't know. Maybe he was able to get credit from the butcher. We don't know. But uh, that was some um, seemingly irrational spending, especially when your son uh, could use medicine that that would have uh, helped him out a lot. So that's just a little tidbit about uh, Cratchit. So Cratchit had his money scripts, right? Just as many as Scrooge. And that's why we say the two that were the most healthy were Fezziwig and Fred. So I think that puts the Christmas Carol into uh, to a frame. And it lets us know that, once again, our money is to support our quest for meaning. Scrooge had plenty of, of money. But what was it that came out of this? He didn't go out and buy the finest golden carriage. It doesn't look like he did any extravagant spending on himself. He upgraded himself to a comfortable lifestyle. You could say one that looked after his health and looked at after his safety. But what was important? Giving to others, spirituality, connection with others. And that's what his money supported. So that's why Dickens ends the book saying he became, speaking of Scrooge, he became as good a friend, as good a master, which would be an employer, as good as of a man as the good old city knew. Now, that is quite an epithet, right? I mean, when I think of it, I can feel some emotions within me because to have to be called that would just kind of sum it up, wouldn't it? To be a good friend, to be a good employer, to be a good man or woman, that just kind of resonates. So I think the bottom line of all this is that it's, it's important for us to remember that observing the Christmas season just doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with how much we spend on gifts. And as I said, and depending upon your own financial circumstances, this might well be a good year to practice the thrift the frugality that um, Scrooge abused, quite frankly. But even with that, we can celebrate in the manner of the transformed Scrooge by giving what we can to others, by opening our hearts and our lives to others, by sharing 
some vulnerabilities. And by spending time with those that we care about the most. So I am hoping for you and your family that you find this um, Christmas season meaningful and that um, your money can support the celebration, the joy of uh, doing what brings you nourishment. And this is a big time of obligation, oughts and shoulds. And uh, maybe taking all those out and looking at them and saying, if you could wave a magic wand this Christmas, how would you celebrate? With who would you celebrate? Uh, what would feed your soul around this time of year? So this um, is one of the last uh, podcasts of the year. And I thank you for joining me. Thank you for all of your uh, comments and support. And I um, look forward to being with you going into the new year. So with that, as Tiny Tim said at the very end of A Christmas Carol, God bless us, everyone. Take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.